like the American dream, right? It's like you, you spend your life working for your retirement. Golly, what a lot of shit, man. I would tell young Lori to slow down and allow the season to do its work. Don't say healthy, don't say happy. Don't say well, and don't say normal. You show me one person on the planet who's healthy, happy, normal, and well. Who is that person? Is there something good that can be gained quickly? I don't know. Guys, welcome back to the Ensigns Podcast. This morning is unique in that so far... I haven't succeeded in getting Sam to stop singing, so I don't know what this podcast holds, but if Sam bursts into song, it's kind of been all morning here. When you're told Here's something interesting. Lottery winners. Isn't it fascinating how often we hear the story that the lottery winner ends up totally depressed and or suicidal? That's a nice anecdote. Or Olympians. I think if you follow the Olympics at all, some of the criticism around post-Olympic depression is something you've probably seen where these top performing athletes return to their normal lives only to discover that they actually don't have a normal life, that all of their time has been invested in this, functionally, this one moment of achievement and then... The fallout is, what do they do after that? Start with those examples because I still think it would be really cool to have some money snow onto my house out of Mm. a cloud. Uh, The term is windfall. I would love an unexpected windfall. And like maybe if a relative that I don't know existed. Yes, yes. I love this scenario. I actually passed away in a very honorable way eh, old very, age probably very sweet and surrounded by family members Mm-mm, no because if they have family members you wouldn't see any of it all alone exactly and then they gave me all their it's money this great aunt that's in the uk and i would love i you know sam and i as professional amateurs in this, in life in life <laughs> and the sport of cycling <laughs> and triathlon <laughs> would both love to be as fast as the guys that you see doing the the race to Rubai or something such. Well, yeah, because, I mean, what, what sporting event, uh, Super Bowl this last weekend, um, do you watch and go, man, I would not like to be as fit as that person. That person is too fit. What a bummer. Yeah. It does seem like the answer sometimes, doesn't it? It does. And here's where the conversations with our friends who are also young men come in. We've heard this repeated theme recently and even said some of these things ourselves. And it looks like this. I'm confronted recently with what it is going to cost to follow God. You throw away uh, what looks like career success as a primary goal. Or you throw away what looks like your own comfort. And you throw away what look like your ambitions in favor of service to the God you are convicted to follow. So this is an actual conversation topic that you've been having with some people on the side 
over the last couple of weeks that I've found myself having with other people on the side over the last couple of weeks, which to us sends up a red flag. We're like, huh, that's interesting. And to me, it seems like this particular hurdle is like three or four hurdles down the road, right? Like I've got all of these college friends who no longer associate with Christians that don't see themselves as Christians. There's just so much baggage therein that they got kind of lost at one of the first hurdles, I think, or the second hurdles. And so when you have someone saying like, I don't know how I feel about the cost, you're like, wow, you've actually, you've crossed a few. You, you are wrestling with the fact that there is weight here and there is a invitation here that is often out of comfort. Um, and I think I have a little voice in my head going, yeah, but like you guys aren't missionaries in Africa. So you really are still super comfortable. And to that, I shake my head and go, the things that Jesus has me doing yeah, are so outside my comfort zone on a regular basis. Oh my goodness. But that's beside the fact that's to that little voice in the back of my head. So now I've talked to him and we can get back to this. Um, the cost of following God is like such a, an awesome conversation because it means that someone's wrestling with it. It means that they're aware that there is uh, a weightiness, that there's, there's going to be something about their life that has to change, right? Like I can't maintain the status quo. Right. And I think different guys arrive at this moment in different ways. And it can look like getting a job offer deciding that you should pray about it and invite some close friends to pray about it and turning it down even though it's appealing because you think that God wants you to stay in a different city or occupation or around different people and suddenly you realize that the priorities of your life are shifting. The one I've referenced for M and I being pushed into buying a house and looking around the city and going, there is a way to land in a great space by being shrewd, by having a good search criteria, by having a good team. And then there is the thing at the kingdom of Jesus going, you could do that. It, it would not be wrong to look for a great neighborhood and a great house to land in. I want you to land in this neighborhood near this group of people who are part of your church, who are intentionally living in one area. And it goes, oh man, this suddenly looks like it's going to be a little more expensive than I thought. Like, you actually have an invitation, God, of the way that I would spend my money. And you've got this quote. We have, we have this quote board um, in our office that we will never tell you what's on it. We will only refer to Except it. Except for... No, no, no. No except. Okay. Totally. Totally never going to tell you. We're just allusions to it because it's said in, in moments of humor. But one of them is something that you said that is around this concept of once you have chosen to follow God in a direction, you don't get to then like bail on it without sacrificing something of yourself and of that choice. Like you don't get to say, well, I feel like God is calling me to Phoenix or to this house in this neighborhood, or to this occupation. And then when things get really rough, you're like, eh. Now, God may have called you into that to test whether you'll say yes. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to end up there. But if you choose at some point in that journey to say, you know, I don't think you are really after my best in mind and bail, you will know 
that you had at one point chosen to follow God and then at another you had not. And that's a really tough thing. Like, okay, all right, hang on. When I was younger, and I mean like 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I had this connotation of like, if you were a real Christian, that meant that you were going to be a missionary in Africa or you were going to be poor and in some other country and that that was the real cost, right? Like if I was comfortable, if I was doing the things that I was interested in, if my heart was doing well, then I wasn't experiencing the right amount of suffering or loss. I mean, I wasn't Mother Teresa wearing the leftover shoes, right? Therefore, I was a bad Christian. And it's taken a little bit of maturing. Um, I say a little bit because I'm not going to be too generous with how much maturing I've done. Um, to recognize that what's laid out for us in the Gospels aren't an army of evangelists going out. Like actually that is one particular gifting and there are other giftings and many of the communities are called to be communities in these cities and they send out a few people. That's not everybody then leaves the town because they've got to go to the ends of the earth. Though, yes, the Great Commission is still there. Yes, that is a particular gifting. The, the other giftings to like stay and pastor or minister or prophesy, like I mean, all of these other, these are not necessarily easy either, but they flew, I think, in the face of the connotation, right? So you were having a conversation with a guy that I know, if he felt like he took the red pill from the matrix and like was all in, he, he would sell everything and he would go for like, cause his pull is to like go and be radical, right? Like these books were all over the place. Um, come on, give me some of the titles. It was like, no, we were yeah, no, radical was one taking your faith back from the American dream. That one, there was, um, under the Jesus overpass, freaks is another. Yeah. Jesus freaks about the martyrs. Yeah. Right. Like that's the true pinnacle of like, if you take this seriously and like, that's not untrue, but it's not the full thing. Right. It's worth saying, too, when I think of the guys that I had these conversations with, these are quality dudes. What I love is they're in different life stages. And for one of them, it looked like turning down one job in favor of another. And the job he ends up taking, he's working for 19-year-old Blaine. This sounds awesome because he turns down a pastoral job or a job inside a church and for a job at a fly shop that doesn't pay as well and doesn't seem to be connected to his calling and seems to be sidelining him. And I just go, oh man, but job at a fly shop. But I get it. I get what <laughs> you're seeing, so nice. the cost to you. And it looks like your peers are advancing above you. And other guy, also a really good guy, just wrestling with, oh man, what if I buy in and I'm submitted to Jesus and all of my resources are at his disposal, what is that going to cost me? Because People lose friendships and people die and people have all kinds of depredation. And you go, okay, pause. Yes, and do we also realize that you're not swapping something for nothing? What you're swapping is nothing for something. And the reason we started with the lottery and the Olympic examples is... What we give away in the pursuit of wealth, visibility, et cetera, even prowess sometimes in particular disciplines, people who have achieved it are turning around going, it's not worth it. It's not something that brings life to the human soul. What you give away in consenting 
to a life with God is something that does nothing for the human soul is protection against the very thing that will bring you life. What you get in the life with God is the thing you are designed for that you will enjoy. It's this huge thing because we've probably all heard sermons about, are you ready to give it all away for God? Are you ready to, are you ready to accept the sacrifice that this is going to take? And I go, okay, it's true that the death of the flesh is not easy. My flesh dies hard. Am I ready to let my flesh die is a question I ask very often, very often in conversations with my wife when what's at stake is the death of my flesh in some area. And I go, man, do I want that? But it kind of goes, do I want that because I will be happier and better and I will enjoy my life. I will love what I get because in choosing a life with God, I get what the human soul was designed for. Right. And in this conversation, we're going to like unpack some more of that because there isn't a formula. It's not that that has a clear answer for everyone. But as we were having this conversation, the the verse from John 6 comes to mind of when Jesus has just done the teaching on his body and his blood that must be consumed. And he uses very visceral language. And depending on your translation, that might have been passed over, but it is, it's pretty grisly enough so that the crowd and many of his disciples say like, who can take this? We're out. This is, this is way too intense. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, like, are you going to leave me too? And that's when Simon Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life and we have seen it. And there's that moment of like, to those friends who I have not seen in quite a long time. Um, It's something I'm struck by a lot that like there's an average age in people that seem to take it a little bit more seriously because they've, they're like, the suffering is real. They're not trying to. Uh, medicate the suffering anymore through other means. And and most of my old college friends are still trying to make things work. Um, but there is a point where you hit this, where, wait, wait, where else would we go? Like you alone have the words of life and whatever that means. Um, and so uh, as we've talked about like the, the surrender of some things, there's uh, a number of our friends and our small church that actually would love to be missionaries and to like not have a nine to five job and not be here in suburbia. They would prefer to be international, but that is a, has been something that God has revealed in their lives is an idol of a lifestyle that they would like to see themselves in. And that actually staying in a city and ministering to people and being here in the States is a much harder choice for them. And what is what he has and it's what he has them in for this season. And so that's where I want to go. Like, it's not a, it's not a formula. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to be expected to give. And this is where I also want to enter into what is your assumption about God's posture towards your desires? Because if he's just this, this mean being that's going to say, Hey, you know what? Everything you love is actually getting in the way of you and I. And if you're not suffering, if there's any level of comfort, that's wrong. If that's, if that's your posture, that's a very unkind God who somehow also is the God who created 
mangoes and waterfalls and sunsets and beauty that stirs you and mountains that you love to ride bikes on. And so it's a little incongruous. There are things that we do to find life apart from God and to set up comfort. And then there are things that are really wonderful and God has a place in those desires. And we've like, we've talked about this before, but in the context of, are you willing to follow God? There's a little bit of like that. Well, if I follow him, I'm gonna have to give up all these other things, which might not be wrong. If some of those things are medication, um, Lori Thornton, who we've had on the podcast before once had the, a conversation with Susie about idols and it was the idol of uh, a perception of her life or she wanted, Susie wanted her life to look a certain way. And Lori said, Susie, God doesn't bless idols. He destroys them. And so there's that piece of like understanding what are the things in your life that are passions and that God wants to be a part of and what are the things that actually are going to be destroyed? Yeah. And every time I want to say, and you will be better for it. Like I think right. you will like your life more is Psalm 37, which you were just alluding to. Delight yourself in the Lord your God or make God your delight and he will give you the desires of your heart. You will find yourself living inside the life you desired. So, yes, sacrifice. But here are some core ones where this becomes real for me, and I just love thinking about it. So, one thing about the universe is that the self, right, the the self that is the individual person. who Your, ha- your ego. Your yeah. ego. Uh, the self-life. The self is not meant to be the center of the universe, And because it's not meant to be the center of the universe, it does not do well there. And yet, because we are built for freedom, submitting the self is not easy. This is in the concept of, wait a minute, I'm entering the kingdom of God and you immediately want me to put myself under authority? You want me to put myself under pastors? You want me to put myself under masters of disciplines under leaders and how many (laughs) I was just going to group myself in with hopefully a set of protective peers but I will say how many times do I look at leaders and go this guy I am expected to be under that guy it goes "Uh uh-oh there's my little flare of yes in fact you are Blaine I am meant to take the thing that is the self and submit it to a set of firm external rules, firm external structures of authority within which, by the way, here comes the by the way, the thing that is myself actually starts to flourish. And you think of learning a language and how the student of a language submits themselves to hard rules, the, the structure, you know, the, the morphology, the syntax, the blah 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 that composes a language system and then by submitting yourself to the firm rules of the discipline you actually find yourself thriving in it i love the structure of exercise as we talk about so much because it provides a way to advance and advancing inside it is incredibly joyful another one that i just love is whenever i think about the concept of the tithe something in me gets offended and I'm definitely not qualified to teach on the topic, but I would say, yes, it's true. 
that if we take the parable of the talents and the entrusting of resources to people, that I don't get to decide what I'm going to do with all my money. And that, so here's another thing, man, I have to give away wealth in favor of my resources are available to God and go, you know, actually that's true. But people who have not done that end up being really miserable and people who embrace the concept of stewarding, being entrusted with resources to govern, seem to do much, much better. And I find myself doing better when I look over whatever I happen to be entrusted with right now, a car, a house, like the single income of our family, and go, this stuff is not the mine that I am protecting against all others. This is something that I've been given to govern and to work towards its flourishing. And it is all available to God. Let me just say, my favorite example of this, of my failure to do this, is during our first pregnancy, we had what I consider to be a huge swath of medical bills. And we're talking in the range of $5,000 that because of an insurance competition, nobody ended up paying. We paid out of pocket. And sometimes when I still think about it, my body tip goes up a degree or two and find myself breathing heavily. And just the anger of at the world and how like you took my stuff. And then I was driving to work one day as I was reflecting on what that bill was actually doing for my wife's internal life and the idea that it was totally okay, which propositionally I knew was true. But I'm driving to work and I'm thinking about that. And then Jesus just really straightforwardly shows up in the car and goes, you know, Blaine, I have given you everything you have and I can ask for it whenever I want. And it was just this, oh my gosh. And he proceeds to say, if that was the cost to access territory of undeserving in your wife's heart, and I would pay it again. And it was like, oh my gosh, the logic of the kingdom is insane. And I find myself at the impasse again of, if I didn't have to follow God, I would still have $5,000 and go, yeah. And would you be better off with that $5,000 than with the further restoration of your wife's heart and your own heart in the process, do you realize, Blaine, that you're getting the better thing? Yeah, that's so good. It feels like this is actually an episode on surrendering, and it's in many, many, many different arenas. It's in every arena of your life, really. Like There are some areas where I'm like, okay, God, if you told me that it was time to sell our house and move into a sprinter van and start driving south, I would be all about that. Uh, it's sort of convenient that I fantasize about said thing happening, but uh, hey, it's it's what you're saying now, so we're going to go do it. There are other arenas like the finances one that are they're brutal, and we've had some other people offer us counsel of like, do you want the kind of stories where you say to your kids, this is where God came through? Or do you want the kind of stories where you're like, yeah, and we really felt like it was up to us, so we worked really hard, and we made it happen. Like you're uh, just struck by how small and weak your shoulders sound for holding up the world in that moment. 
which isn't to say that hard work is the enemy here, but that surrender aspect does, oh, it's, it works its way into freaking everywhere. Something I'm struck by in the conversations that I've had is this aspect of to follow God is to also somehow swallow this entity that is all of the church and all of its oddities. And I remember sitting in chapel, which was mandatory three days a week in college and looking around the room going, I don't know that really all of us or any of us are meaning or thinking of the same being when we say God or Abba or Father or Jesus. Like I, I'm in this I talking with 1300 people and we're all thinking of different beings. This is crazy. How are we, how am I actually a Christian if I'm not like towing the line with all of the rest of you? And I know that that's been a huge place of, of, of that first filter, I would say for many of my friends where they're like, I, to be a Christian is to be okay with the TV evangelists and with everything from the left to the right, to the orthodox, to the fog machines and lasers. And what I think is so interesting is there are equally as many anecdotal stories that I've heard of people leaving one tradition for another, whether that's people leaving a Catholic church and finding Jesus in an evangelical setting or the other way around. And what I love about those stories is that actually Jesus is the common denominator and it's people that are pursuing him. And as long as that's actually what's catching you, that's really, really good. Because as a generation of millennials, we've been so marketed to that to be asked that question, like, are you, are you able to follow Jesus? Are you, are you willing to follow him in this area of your life? There's just so much baggage. You can't not think of all of the ways that you're supposed to look like this or look like that or not do this. And I, I, I kind of get that those are hangups. So for those guys that are thinking about that, that are wrestling with that first hurdle and the, the, the hurdle of, can I follow you in everywhere? That's uh, right. The topic of surrender and that piece of where else would you go? Like what else is working? Do you actually think that the new car is going to do it? Do you think that, look at any story of success as we, as like we're going right back to the very beginning of this podcast, pick one of those stories, pick someone that you're trying to emulate see if that actually worked and brought some measure of happiness and soulfulness and depth of character. And if the answer is no, then stop trying to make that work. It's not going to. You're not going to be the exception to that. Man, a few more areas that I think of that are challenging and productive. Here's a surprising one. What about having an alive heart? One thing that happened to me last year is Jesus really started talking about making visual art emphatically. Make art, have the part of your heart that loves visual art alive. And I was going, there's no expression of this in my life right now. I don't have any time to make paintings. And Jesus went, oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, no, I don't want you to make paintings right now. I want the part of your heart that loves visual art to be alive and available to me and go, oh man, it feels easier to have that dormant than accessible and inactive. But I know I am better 
with a living heart, with more of my heart alive, and to go, one thing that Jesus might be asking and prompting is for more of your heart to be alive, even if there's not an immediate outworking or an experience of reward of it being alive. Another one is the church and going, oh yeah, that one is where you go, wow, suddenly my love and consent to God, my love of and consent to God, surrender to, compels me to band together with a few people season to season to walk out our transformation and and be inviting other people in. And I go, it is difficult to have people who you wouldn't normally associate with literally invited into your house. And for Em and I, I would say, yeah, it is tiring to literally open our table to have other people around it. And I'm not saying we do this all the time. I'm not saying all of the rhythms of our family are suddenly open to everybody, but a few more things and a few specific things are, yep, as part of the life of my kingdom being available to God, other people end up invited in and there is a giving away. There is kind of the death of peace, convenience, income, and yet what actually ends up happening is see the life of God unfolding inside other people and in a community, the beholding of which is way better than whatever independence I might have as the alternative. Yeah. I've really come to understand this mental image of God as someone who is inviting us out of some things and into some things rather than as this masked executioner of my current way of life. I think of Psalm 119, where David writes, I run in the paths of your commands for you have set my heart free. That's the scenario, right? Like that's the thing you want to be able to say. And other translations are enlarging my heart, broadening my understanding, but it is still that passion of direction because what God has in store for you is really good. And do you believe that? 